Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I've got something a little bit different and exciting for you guys today. I am speaking with Dr. Angel Iskovich. He is an owner of Miniature Schnauzers. He is also a renowned author and physician, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about routines and some of the routines that we can use, like we use for our dogs to help ourselves and how he got involved in the purebred dog world and all kinds of fun stuff. Pure Dog Talk is proudly sponsored by Trupanion, medical insurance for the life of your pet. Trupanion loves helping pets get the care they need. That's why they're excited to announce that they've officially paid out over $2 billion, that's with a B, billion dollars in veterinary claims. That's two billion reasons for more tail wags and treats. That's 730,000 pets that got the care they needed. Trepanion would like to thank all of the owners and breeders who've trusted them over the last 22 years. If you're part of the Trepanion Breeder Support Program, don't forget to register your upcoming litters for their go-home day offers. That way you can send them home protected by Trepanion's world-class coverage. If you're not part of the program yet, what, what, what? it's completely free to join and lets you send your litters home with an offer for a full Trupanion insurance policy that waives the waiting periods. To learn more and to sign up, just visit my partner page at puredogtalk.com. So welcome, Dr. Iskovich. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Great pleasure. Thank you so much. Very, very cool. All right. So give us the 411. Tell us how you, this world famous emergency room psychiatrist guy, got involved in purebred dogs and miniature schnauzers, correct? Right, right. Yeah. So it was funny because I tried to do it scientifically, but we had some bigger dogs. We had Akitas. Mm -hmm. And I grew up with kind of a Labrador that I had when I was younger. And when our Akita died, we kind of rethought ourselves and said, what is it we want? We're a little bit older right now. We don't have kids. So maybe we have to have kid replacements or something like this to survive here. And we got real scientific about it or thought we were and said, look, we don't want a dog that sheds. We want a dog that's hypoallergenic. Okay, that's good. Sometimes the dogs that are in those breeds don't do that. We want a dog that having had Akitas that can be a little bit primarily dog aggressive. You know, we want a dog that wasn't dog aggressive or that was human aggressive in any way. Right. And then we wanted a dog that also at least had some other qualities, a little bit of guard dog qualities mm -hmm. or announcing qualities. And then being as I was at the time thinking there's got to be some data out here in 1996, there was like, and I'm not sure this makes any sense, a study about intelligence, you know, the, mm -hmm. the most intelligent mm -hmm. dogs, you know, and uh, that study was done. I reviewed the study to see how they actually developed the concept of intelligence. But, you know, up on the top came border collies and mm -hmm. poodles and the mm -hmm. sort. I think mm -hmm. uh, little retrievers were in that mm -hmm. area, too. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking, all of those dogs weren't exactly the size of the dog we were looking at. You know, 20 right. pounds was about the right amount to pick up. And basically, 
I looked and I saw that the miniature schnauzers were like 12 or 14 in that list. And, you know, most people will poo-poo it because to them, their dog is the smartest dog. But I was looking, being a physician and a scientist at some Mm -hmm. method, and I noticed that the miniature schnauzers were really high where a lot of the other terriers were really a little lower on the scale. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's it. We've got to go get a miniature schnauzer. And so we got our first miniature schnauzer and got another one and really more of purebred dogs, but more as pets with some history. And then after 14 years or so, they passed away. And my wife was um, a little bit despondent. And we went to look back at the same breeding lines. And my Mm -hmm. wife, Lisa, had been involved in Arabian horses from a family. Right. You know, grew up in 4-H and they had Arabian horses and Welch ponies. Oh, nice. So they knew about how to look at pedigrees and understand mm-hmm. a little bit more of that. She kind of found the pedigree and found a breeder in Salt Lake City, Utah, that came to the Santa Barbara Dog Show. I live in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And we went down there and lo and behold, we kind of connected and said, you know what? I'm going to have a litter in December. You can come a litter, come in November, you can come see them in the sort. And we went over there and we picked one that she thought was probably not going to be a, a show dog. And another one that was a little older, that was a show dog jumped on me named Casey. And I said, I want that one too, because we've had two. Right. She said, sorry, he's a show dog and he has to go to a show dog family because we really want to see him campaign. He's part of what we've been breeding for and Mm -hmm. had a number of really nice dogs. So not knowing what I was doing, I committed to that. And we ended up campaigning Casey and our other dog, Watson, became a champion dog also because he was really, at the end, turned out a little better than they thought for the show dog ring, you know? So Casey ended up becoming the number one miniature schnauzer in the United States in 2018. And we took him off after a year. I guess I'm not sure that was the right thing to do, but he's done quite a bit of breeding and has a number mm-hmm. of champions and is getting his platinum designation. Nice. My friends will look at me and say, what are you doing going to dog shows in the sort, you know? And what's this all about? And I said, I don't know. The best thing I could think is when you're too old to compete, you get your animals to do it for you. So that's my best answer to that. So a little long story, but that's how we've gotten involved with miniature schnauzers. And maybe it's a little bit of a family now because we've got daughters, the grandchildren that have done well. And it's fun. And I think that this the show dog and winning can be addictive also. It, it has an addictive quality, I think. I frequently compared it to gambling, frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yourself, who I know has been a handler and a breeder, there's something special about getting that blue ribbon when they call your name mm-hmm. that has quite a jolt. And of course, as an owner, it's a more vicarious kind of piece. An owner I see more as being a patron of the arts. Yes. Unless you're an owner handler, of course. Right. My wife handles a little bit, but not much just as a Mm fill-in. But basically, it's a very interesting world, and that's how it happened. And I love it. Here we are, maybe a little bit addicted, yes. A little bit addicted. It's okay. I've been a little bit addicted for 40-some-odd years. So. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, okay, you have a great book called The Art of Routine. And we know that as dog owners, routine is part of their life. It's part of what makes them happy. So talk to us about how we, as dog people, can incorporate some of those routines and make for maybe a little more, what, happier life? How do you think about that? It's interesting. You know, my take on routine was a little bit different, but I think kind of dog owners, it naturally applies. You learn it very quickly. If you want to survive as a dog owner, you learn about the importance of routine because 
dogs essentially have that quality for survival to being very important. And what happened when I wrote the book is we were studying, you could say we were studying older dogs, but we were studying humans <laughs> and longevity and older folks. And I noticed people that were over a hundred years of age, centurions, I noticed two qualities that they had. One is that they had a stable environment. By that, I mean both physical and people around them. And two, they had a very, very regular routine. They had a rhythm, a routine, things that they did with great regularity. But what I also noticed is what they did varied quite a bit. So some of them weren't doing necessarily healthy things. But so it got me to thinking that maybe part of the key is more the how than the what we're doing. In other words, the routine may be more important than actually what you're eating, because here's this hundred year old having Dr. Peppers every day, you know, and that doesn't seem like the right thing to do, but that there was something to the fact that you had routine and regularity. And I started thinking about high performers, which would also Mm. apply, for example, to dogs in the dog world, Mm -hmm. whether they're doing agility or whatever performance they're doing. And that people who performed at a high level, and I give a lot of examples of that in the book, have incredible routines. Even people you wouldn't think wouldn't have routines like the Rolling Stones that you think are creative in the sort. So they're very organized. They have structure. And then I applied it also to business and also to care of the young, which, you Mm -hmm. know, in caring for our own young, Mm -hmm. I think you find this, of course, as a really a flip and a similarity to what happens really in regard to the dog world. And got me to think, why is that the case? And my approach to it was a little different than just saying, hey, it feels good. It is good to do this. Mm-hmm. You start looking at how our body physiology is, and it's not too different from the dogs in certain ways. And you start understanding that we have these kinds of rhythms, the circadian rhythms that occur. You know what happens at three o'clock when we get right. kind of a little sleepy in the sword and the English have tea and what's happening to our glucose and our cortisol. I don't want to get into all of the aspects of what's happening to our physiology, There's a lot of things that happen to our physiology. And for dogs, it's actually a little bit more basic. You know, some people talk of dogs as three-year-olds or the sort. Right. And we're able to apply more cognitive skills of our own to overcome these. But underlying this, it seemed to me that for us as humans in this world where we're using our digital world as we are today and computers and the sort, that we're being constantly interrupted and disrupted and being always tempted to do different things all the time. And that maybe maybe changing things up too much is not really the way to go. And I know like even in the dog world, how one might breed or, although I don't know that much about breeding or how one shows or what their Mm -hmm. techniques are, Mm -hmm. how they condition their dogs. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of what's there. There's a lot of different ways. There's a little bit like my mother would say, everybody's got their own rainbow. But when you see what they do, you see that it's something that has tremendous regularity and routine and rhythm. And I think that's what's kind of happened for us as humans. In this world, for many of us, it's become very difficult because we're really into kind of a news bite world. We have a lot of information. There isn't an ability to get into something and keep it going. But I do think that this applies also to the canine world. I think that for high performance, for longevity, for caring for the young and their relationship, that I think that having and being able to be into a certain routines of different types are really very important. We're very adaptive animals. Humans are more adaptive, right? but dogs can be very, very adaptive. We've seen how our interface has changed over time, right? From dogs Mm -hmm. being there to, and still do to protect us, to herd, to hunt, to save, 
to now being bomb sniffing dogs. Right. You know, we're changing kind of what they do for us in these times because of what's happened with technology. So I'm also involved with some technology companies. So anyway, that's a little bit about the book. The book is really about and tries to outline some stories and thinking about the importance of routine. I really love what you're talking about in terms of being able to concentrate and that constant bombardment. Like I always talk about squirrels. That's a thing (laughs) like, oh, squirrel. And I go off and chase a squirrel in my head, right? And I think what you're talking about in terms of the technology, we're constantly, we're on our phone or we got this. I love the idea of just kind of smoothing that out a little bit and reaping rewards from that. And finding it, you know, it's interesting. I've had stories of people that were there and we know this in psychology and in psychiatry and in medicine. What do we do? So it's not just about routine. It's also about a stable environment. And when people are very disrupted or ill, what is it that we do? We find a stable environment, a sort of a cocoon, and we do things. Our blankie for it. <laughs> right, right. But what our body is really seeking is equilibrium and homeostasis. Mm. And it's the same for the dogs. You can tell what happens when you change diets suddenly yeah. or change their routines right. when they walk or whatever is the case. Mm-hmm. And so we seek and survive by having kind of stability. Homeostasis is what it's called in some of the physiological terms and having equilibrium. So if we're too disrupted, this happens, but life by its own nature is disruptive and things happen, which like, I'd like to talk about burst your bubble. We live in these time bubbles and things change as we age and as we grow. And it's the same really with our canine friends and family. And we have to be cognizant of that about then changing those routines when the time bubble bursts, what we know is that the way our bodies are organized is to put this together to try to find this kind of stability as well. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Okay, y'all. The Indy Winter Classic. Whoop, whoop. It's happening. Indianapolis, Indiana at the Indiana State Fairgrounds, February 2nd to 5th. Specialty shows, Dalmatians, Rottweilers, Dobermans, Malamutes, Poodles, Pomeranians, Shetland Sheepdogs, Field Spaniels, Supported Entries, Specialty Shows, Four Days of All Breed Shows. We've got National Owner Handled Series all four days. We've got Bread by and Puppy Groups. We've got four days of Beginner Puppy. We've got Pee-wee and Itty Bitty Plush Dogs, the cutest, on Saturday the 4th. 40-plus vendors for all of your shopping needs. Free electricity. Free grooming spaces. We've got eye and cardio clinics, plus paw print genetics, and Blue Ridge Veterinary Imaging to complete all your clearances. Onofrio is the superintendent. Here's the important thing you need to hear. This show closes January 18th. Four open shows, four all-breed shows, four owner-handled series shows, four days of beginner puppy. So I'm just repeating myself because this is pretty amazing. Admission is only $7 for spectators. Military, first responders, and kids under 12 are free. Tell everybody, get your entries in today.
I think that is an absolutely perfect segue into what I wanted to talk about next, which is, of course, the biggest bubble bursting thing that has happened to any of us in multiple generations, which is the current pandemic. And it has impacted our dog world tremendously from, hi, I'm at a dog show to, I can't show dogs anymore. Talk about the trauma. Many of us have almost a PTSD reaction (laughs) to this just unearthly upending explosion of our bubbles. So let's talk about some of the things that we can do to manage that, because I think it really is impacting all of us, whether we know it or not. So let's talk about that. I must say that even as an owner wanting to go occasionally to see our dog show, Mm -hmm. we really weren't able to have that experience and enjoy that, let alone the dogs when there were dog shows started to open up in the kind of 2020 lull Mm -hmm. before the new Delta and Omicron variants came when things seemed to be going on the way down. I remember trying to go to a dog show, but nobody could sit anywhere by the ring, which as an owner, what I enjoy doing is not just watching my dog, but seeing dogs show and see what's happening in the competition. And you couldn't really do it. You had to be farther away. It wasn't really a pleasant experience. And I think that by nature, people they are either in the show dog world in particular, who are learn to travel, what I call the travel time bubble, because whether it's athletes and what I've learned in the show world is that the handlers in particular, Mm -hmm. even the judges and the dogs themselves that are little athletes, really, because not all the dogs can do well at this, have to learn how to travel and how to change their environments, right? All the things. But what's happened now is that we're very adaptive. Now, the handlers, the support personnel, everybody's world got very disrupted and couldn't continue with was their stable environment, their ways, even though they're changing town to town, the ability to do what has been regularly the case. And really what's happened is you've seen basically, like I like to say, their time bubbles burst and some people being really unable to put it back together again, Mm -hmm. to say, well, what do I do now? How am I at home when I'm used to having this kind of routine and this piece. The other part is that I've learned quite a bit from just observing the, I'm I'm talking about the show world and Mm -hmm. it's all levels. There's all levels of variation. It's not the major show world or anything. Is that it's a social event. There's a lot of social events there. I call it our tribe. It is our family. For those of us who've done this for our whole lives, this is our family. I mean, we might have family outside, we might not, but this is our family and this is our tribe. It is. It's the tribe. It's the commonality that people have in showing. But there's a lot of social life that happens with that. There's interactions. You see your friends. You see your competitors. Yes. Sometimes you like your competitors. Sometimes you don't. It's like a family or large family and the sort. But that suddenly is gone. So this sense of human interaction, this ability to see others, because suddenly everybody became a viral threat. Mm -hmm. And as people become viral threats, what we do is we isolate and, you know, that's what's happened here. And so it's been very hard to get close to people. And I would arguably say that Zoom and the sword has filled a little bit of a gap, but it hasn't really filled that aspect of humans having to get back into the being together, being able to be socialized, develop a routine, which may have some different changes as time goes on mm-hmm. in the future, but it's been very, very disruptive for the people and consequently for the dogs who are sensitive not just to the routines, but the routines of their owners yeah. and the people that care for them. So it's been a very, very disruptive moment. And how do you develop? I've talked to how people 
kind of coped with it, you know? Yes, coping skills. I'm looking for coping skills. I need some coping skills badly. (laughs) You know, so first of all, you know, obviously your feeding times, your walking times. So I really pushed on, people have asked me, in fact, I've had a couple of doggers say, what do I do right now? You know, I'm just kind of a bit of a plunk. I mean, yeah, I feed my dog on time, but there's these expectations that dogs maybe could see that they're not getting them. And I've said that you have to recreate your own routine. So you have to start by a few things. One of the things that's happening for people that are homebound are the usual things. They're not getting enough exercise. So they have to take the opportunity, if they can, to really improve the exercise and the regimen of their animals, whatever it is they do. And being outdoors, granted, makes for greater safety. So a number of people I've advised to make sure they get outdoors and increase their own personal and a new routine for the dogs when they're not necessarily traveling in the sort or how exercise occurs and how play occurs and to be outside. So that's been a key to getting out. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a very simple piece. People say, well, can you give me something else, something that I can hold on to? And one of the interesting things that I learned a while back, a little bit about studying, you know, why people do prayer and the sort mm-hmm. is something that I kind of like more than people doing meditation. I don't think in the dog world, there's going to be loads of meditation being done at least. I think sometimes there should be more. (laughs) There should be more, right. But I kind of like these daily affirmations, you know, where I tell people, look, let's use your technology, put your telephone or your cell phone, doing a reminder at seven in the morning Mm -hmm. to do a daily affirmation. And the daily affirmation can be kind of anything, you know, from Stuart Smalley's old you know, I'm smart enough, I'm good enough, and gosh darn it, people like me, you know, that to just can be anything to how your day is going to be today. You know, today we're going to have a great day. We're going to do the following. We're going to be going out to a new venue with the dogs to go, you know, do whatever it might be so you can organize your day or something that helps you rethink it. And the routine of doing that every day is what the body likes, if you understand that. Okay. is the repetitiveness. You know, people talk about making your bed when you don't make your bed, you know, is a very common piece for doing. So another one is, interestingly enough, especially if you're in a pretty busy environment now that you're stuck at home because you're used to maybe not being at home. And I know this is kind of simple too, but it's hard to do is to have quiet time. Yes. And I learned this back in the business world where both myself and the CEOs, the people I work with, needed just a moment to not be on a computer, not be on the television, not have a lot of input. And what you do is you basically are able to just get rid of all that sensory piece and sit and just ponder and wander a little bit for just 10, 20, 30 minutes, as long as your quiet time. I did a little quiet time challenge. It was amazing to me how people said, I can't do it. Yeah. I can't be without my phone in my hand. Right. That shows you how important the connectivity of people has been via the use of digitalization where they're hearing from their friends, they feel connected in the sort. My grandmother, God rest her soul, used to swear that you could cure everything in the world from a broken heart to the common cold with a hot bath. And I feel like we've lost that. My grandmother did it. My aunt did it. My father did it. Just the idea of having locked in the bathroom, nobody can come in. (laughs) I grew up in a house with only one bathroom. I'm telling you, this was a crisis. Right. But that just simple alone time, quiet, alone, in a hot bath, you get that whole womb aspect, right? Right. Right. And you know, the beauty of that was it became a routine. Maybe your hot bath was Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Maybe hers was whatever days, but 
it became a routine. And of course, that is kind of a really simple moment of relaxation that we used to have, or a little bit of quiet time. And now we're kind of bombarded, really, and especially during COVID to keep connected. There's been so much entertainment that's been on televisions with most everyone has on iPads. You know, we're constantly being bombarded and trying to keep ourselves connected. So I think daily affirmations, the exercise related routines and quiet time of this sort, however it's developed and doing them on a regular basis helps kind of stabilize you, gives you a sense of certainty in a time where there's a lot of uncertainty that's going on. Yeah. And that's really, I think, as human and as canines, what's happening in the brain. But, you know, there's a rhythm to life. You know, the sun rises and sets. You know, dogs like to sleep a lot, but they know when they like to sleep. They've got actually a circadian rhythms related to their cortisol and glucose, which is not totally dissimilar to ours, but not completely different because their metabolisms are increased. You know, Mm -hmm. they're faster, they're shorter, they're compressed. Mm -hmm. But imagine if the sun wasn't rising today, like early days when we didn't know what eclipses were. So we want to have rhythm. We want a sense of certainty. And when we do things repetitively and stay with them for a while, and that's the complex issue of discipline and staying with them for a while. And I think people know how important discipline is with animals and with dogs in particular. So those are a couple of the kinds of things people can do. Okay. So in closing, what's your best advice for human discipline. We, we know how to give our dogs boundaries. I committed, I'm going to go walk and it's cold and rainy and I just can't get out of bed. Bah. Right. So what's your best advice to giving ourselves those boundaries and that discipline? You know, it's a little bit of what I was talking about, the way the brain works and the way dopamine works is that when you do one event and you do it repetitively and you complete a task, And so for people that are just disheveled and can't really complete tasks, starting to just complete even the smallest tasks, whether it's like making your bed or I mentioned the daily affirmation and then doing it over and over, this makes your body and your brain chemistry give you a lot of really better feelings and good feelings about yourself. And it becomes kind of, so to speak, habitual, which is a little more automated. You need a little bit of effort really to do some of these routines. So Just the ability to stick with one thing and start and doing it. You know, we've had so many interesting things that I call collateral value as opposed to collateral damage that has happened from the virus. Not just only people being ill, people being separated from their loved ones, family members. A number of people have really, all of a sudden, they started to realize how important their environment was. Suddenly they looked and said, gee, you know, I'm always running in and out, but I can't believe I haven't traded out that old couch that I've had here for 20 years. They started to realize and be forced to be together more with family and Mm -hmm. friends because they were more in their internal environment and not able to necessarily see other parts of their families or friends. So things like home improvement went up. And I think that it's a great moment to, you know, rethink that. Granted, we're coming out of it a little bit now, but to think about a little bit about improving your environment, you know, your home environment. Mm -hmm. A number of people got into cooking, you know, because they were more limited with it. And there was an explosion of, you know, appliances and devices for cooking and focus on cooking and Zoom cooking pieces. So they started to do more things at home, you know, during this piece, such as improving their home, learning, for example, how to cook Mm -hmm. and the outdoor sides, things like bicycling, 
There was a run on sales of bicycles where you can't even find them. Right. And there were run on a number of things now with inflation hitting. Supply chain. Ah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. I think if you look at the topics to do your routines in. Right. Above and beyond the brain that says start doing something and do it regularly. The areas of home improvement, cooking, for example, mm-hmm. have been a couple pretty good cases. For some people, it's always been the case. They do all that all the time. Mm-hmm. And also, I think... Just being sensitive to caring really for your animals is really important because I think as we become depressed, you know, there's a lot of, you know, so to speak, trauma in its own way that's happened to many of us. And this will be a very interesting point about getting out. When I look at the dog world, there's all kinds of ages, but it's tilted towards people that are a bit older. Mm-hmm. maybe have been doing this for a while. Like, not all, but I'm always mm-hmm. seeing that they're trying to get juniors in the yes. And there's a lot of middle age and you know older individuals mm-hmm. involved. And I'd say the majority of judges are somewhere mm-hmm. a little bit more because you need experience to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's very important now to be able to move in a direction that essentially allows you to stabilize your environment, to get away from this concept I termed a little word called FOGO, the fear of getting out. <laughs> so forget FOMO. Now we've got FOGO. Yeah, that's the fear <laughs> of missing out, right? Yes. Well, what's happened is we've done this. We've been so isolated and stayed away and people are kind of like viral threats. We've kind of got a fear of getting out. It's kind of a, yes. what we call a subclinical form of agoraphobia. You know, when you're afraid I'm telling of you, yes. getting out. And I was talking to a few people says, you know, my husband can't wait. He's out, but I'm having trouble getting back out. How do I get back out and get my routines I had or new routines in place? You know, of course, we just talked about the internal environment, you know, being at home and the environment, but now getting out and socializing out, it's a little bit like a cold shower. You know, it's how you do it. And I get and talk about that. You know, you either got to get right into that or crash into it, or you use your body physiology to get yourself slowly readapted. Mm -hmm. And you take little steps, you know, with being with friends, or, you know, going to some limited events or shows that you do. Specialty instead of an all-breed show like yeah, that. Right. <laughs> some people actually haven't had those issues at all. Mm-hmm. But, you know, this is very important, I think, in, at least as I look at the dog show world, this is the livelihood of a lot of people. For some people, it's hobby-like and the sword. And I was saying before that as an owner, I kind of feel like an art patron where I'm letting the breeders, the handlers, the judges kind of produce this art, so mm-hmm. to speak, in a sport fashion. Love it. That's how I feel. But not every, for others, you know, you've got the vendors that depend mm-hmm. on this. They travel and do it. So there's been an economic hit Oh yeah. in this way. So anyway, I think trying to stabilize your internal environment, but mm-hmm. some people have no FOGO. They could care less. <laughs> right. you know, Trust me. And I think in the dog show world, we have less FOGO than anybody else. Right. <laughs> That's the one thing I will say. It's just as good to get, I agree with what I've said and, and what you said right there. So I've heard of a few people that are judges that are a little older, mm-hmm. got concerned because they did get some form of COVID. And mm-hmm. so it's definitely a concern. Yeah. Well, I think that some of the advice that you've offered us here today in terms of expanding and creating that routine and expanding it and reintroduction into society. We can do this. We can totally do this. So I really, really appreciate your time and hopefully we'll catch you at a dog show down the road. Sounds great. And thank you so much for having me. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tech box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs 
into the future. Pure Dog Talk patrons support the work we do here by contributing to our crowdsourcing campaign. In return for the generosity that keeps the MP3s rolling, patrons acquire special access opportunities and perks. The most recent addition for our patrons is Pure Pep Talk. These weekly mentoring messages are quick, upbeat, actionable tips and tools for your tech box. Visit www.puredogtalk.com backslash patrons to find out how you can join the best community in dogs. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 